Hello and welcome to Best Comics Ever. I'm your host, Dave Busey, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I'm joined today by special guest, Zach Quaintance, founder of Now Comics Bookcase, formerly known as Batman's Bookcase, and excellent comics presence on Twitter and over at The Beat. How are you doing today, Zach? I'm good, Dave. Uh, thanks for having me on, on the show. Big fan of, of your site and uh, your social media presence as well. Thank you. Thank you. That is great to hear. So today we are we gathered initially to have an X-Men Dawn of X Wave 1 conversation, and we're still going to do that. But the night before recording here, news dropped that Dan DiDio, co-publisher of DC Comics for a decade now, and with the company much longer than that as, as an editor and VP and all sorts of titles, is leaving the company. And the news was um, pretty sudden, I think, uh, a little mysterious. You know, there's a lot of... Just like all the the headlines are basically that he's exiting the company, but it's not he was fired or he's choosing to leave and and here's who's replacing him. So it doesn't have a positive ring to it for DiDio in the sense of like him going out on his own terms. But this is pretty huge news for DC Comics and potentially where they'll be moving in the future. Zach, again, I'm surprising you with this kind of an emergency response podcast but what was your initial reaction to this big news my initial reaction was just total shock um i think like a lot of a lot of people i'd sort of figured that this next coming uh era of dc the the new generation where the it's been reported they're going to replace all the heroes with sort of younger more diverse versions would sort of be uh dan's almost a litmus test for whether he would continue on with the company and uh to see them sort of cut bait with him in during the planning process for that was was really shocking and and very unexpected. Right, right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Definitely was very surprised by this news. Now, I think it's like a little bit of the writing has been on the wall. DC has been going through some big changes just at the, you know, they're owned by Warner Bros. And we've seen new management kind of top down. Um, I think it was... In 2019, you know, so it's only been within the last year that a number of longtime DC employees were let go. So they've had staff released, including I know, and I'm blanking on the name, so apologies here, but like a pretty long term, very qualified and and reputable uh, art director that they had with the company. So the idea that DiDio's job could be on the line is not entirely shocking. You know, I mean, I would definitely look at it. I, I think this is something maybe we could talk about as we go, but like the job of editor-in-chief or, or co-publisher, as his official title is in comics, is very similar to me as, like, you know, head coach of a, you know, an NFL team or, or any sport, really, um, or even just, like, president, you know? Like, any position of leadership that, that you're managing just a, a property that people are extremely passionate about, which is a weird way to describe America, now that I say it out loud. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, obviously, you take a ton of lumps. You take a ton of hits for the things that people go wrong or th- people think go wrong. Um, and then when things do go well, it is less likely to necessarily get the credit unless it is like a sustained period of excellence, which is not to necessarily come out and say Dan DiDio is this hugely misinterpreted figure, but he, because I think he leaves a complex legacy. Um, but I was definitely surprised Maybe not. Maybe surprise is the wrong word, but I was a little discomfited to see how how much like the Twitter reaction is celebratory towards his exit. You know, like the and, and maybe this is just my own where I come into comics, which is basically with the new Fifty Two, which is like probably DiDio's 
lasting legacy in a lot of ways. You know, that's the biggest thing that he launched was the 2011, you know, full-on reboot of DC Comics, um, which has now been, you know, like more or less undone and reworked back into DC continuity. But people are ecstatic in some corners of the internet. Zach, what's your what's your general relation to like the DiDio era? Um, looking back now, he's been called a publisher for a decade, but even beyond that, like, you know, he's got ties to like Infinite Crisis in the 2000s, Identity Crisis, you know, like he's been a major presence in DC Comics of the 2000s. I think it's a complex legacy, but where do you net out in terms of his impact? Yeah, I, I think you hit it right on the head when you when you call it a complex legacy. Uh, Dan, there's a lot of the reaction you're talking about, the, the jubilant reaction, I think, uh, stems from the this idea that you've also seen bear out with the with the the actual reactions from the people who work at DC from the comics pros that have worked with Dan uh, a lot of them describing him as almost a shield or a lightning rod for for reader frustrations so like mm-hmm. he would he had this reputation of sort of stepping in between writers and artists and fans that were angry about things and so I think that that his legacy in the in the minds of a lot of, of readers who don't necessarily uh, know as much about the business behind the scenes as, as people who write about it, like you and I, is is this sort of villain. Like uh, he's he's the one standing in between them and and the Teen Titans uh, legacy character revivals that they really want. Or it's his fault that that the Batman and Catwoman didn't get married. Um, so that that I think for a lot of readers will will be his legacy as this as this guy who kind of um, withheld what they wanted from their favorite characters, but w- the the dichotomy you see with the pro reaction kind of kind of hints that uh, there's a lot more to it than that. And um, I, the way I've I've sort of been thinking of Dan since that since that merger with the AT and T, uh, or t- I think getting more involved with publishing and changing leadership there is is Dan has been the captain of the ship for monthly superhero comics in continuity. Like DC's branched out a lot into YA markets with original graphic novels and they're trying to do the same for adult readers with their black label product but dan was sort of the he he continued to be this force promoting what they'd always done for 85 years which is monthly superhero books um at cons and talking like no we're not backing away from this and i think that that there's almost a uh scary uncertainty now like what what's going to happen i like when i think of dc right now i don't know what they want to be like for many years uh certainly throughout Dan's tenure it was it was clear like they wanted to be just like Marvel put out monthly books continue these superhero stories but since this merger it's become a lot muddier than that um and so I think people thinking of this as like oh this is great I'm finally going to get what I want I'm going to get Dick Grayson back and Wally West not as some sort of weird facsimile for Dr. Manhattan powers I'm going to get all these things I ever wanted might be a little surprised uh at, at just how little changes and also I wouldn't wouldn't be shocked if if this means that there is no longer this champion outward face for for their monthly continuity stuff and we start to see maybe more more focus on the YA graphic novels and and the like sort of evergreen black label product that has become an increasing focus I don't know if that answers your question but that's that's a lot of what's been sort of like swirling in my head for the last 12 hours since this news broke I I think that's a fantastic summary honestly and i've i've been having a lot of similar thoughts because so even yesterday in the morning 
before this news broke, I was working on a DC black label reading list for Comic Book Herald. And, you know, kind of thinking through the product, and I tweeted out something to the effect of, I can see a future where DC's focus is on these black label, prestige format, out of continuity type stories, you know, essentially with like no incontinuity superhero line behind it. And we might be closer to that than people realize. Then the DiDio news breaks, and it's like, this feels like a part of that, <laughs> not dystopia, but for someone who's obsessed with with ongoing superhero comics, like this feels like a move more in that direction. Now, this could be easily, easily proven wrong. You know, the next publisher could come in and say, I love comics as much as Dan did and come in and then have huge plans for like the ongoing superhero line, which, you know, right now is kind of at a at a crucial juncture. Not kind of. I mean, it's at a crucial juncture. They're planning this this generations launch, you know, to sort of redefine what their ongoing continuity looks like. It is, we just had a good article by Michaela Lard um, on CBH talking about, you know, hey, it's not a reboot, but yes, it does mean changes, you know, certainly in terms of like moving on from the rebirth era, which has fizzled. I mean, I, I think unquestionably it was a good launch in 2016, but it has absolutely fizzled of late. So I, I think you're you're totally right. This idea of the one thing that seems to be unquestioned is Dan DiDio loved and loves superhero comics. Um, he his passion for the medium is is kind of unquestioned, and and you're seeing that in the creator response to you know the news that he is not going to be with DC any longer. So I do think this the big picture question that is the most interesting to me is exactly the one you raise, which is what does DC Comics as a publishing entity want to be now? Um, do they want to continue this this um, you know direct market monthly superhero comics line essentially, or do they actually think like imprints like all the YA books they're putting out all the black label, label books they're putting out, is that actually, you know, basically like moving towards a almost more traditional book market style publisher, is that what they want to become? I, I think that will be really interesting to continue to track. You know, it's definitely something that I it, sell any any conversation around like, quote unquote, the death of comics, I think is goofy, but it could be a, a huge changing of the guard for comics. And this could be a step in that direction, uh, very, very possibly. I do want to highlight. Uh, oh, go ahead. I think you're going to jump. In. Yeah, I. One thing I think I. It's not. It's not hard to imagine a scenario where sort of you get you get new leadership at the corporate level. They look at the number of employees that the DC Comics Publishing has, and they look at the number of books in the line that sell twenty five to thirty five thousand issues monthly, and they, and that profit margin is is pretty thin. And without sort of understanding the larger ecosystem of uh, continuity and how these titles sort of interconnect with each other, it it's sort of easy to envision the the boardroom decisions that that look at well, what if we can what if we have Watchmen here that's been selling millions upon millions of copies since 1985? What if what if we can rework our publishing line to aim at that because it takes one Watchmen per decade to outsell everything we do on a monthly basis, wouldn't that be a better allocation of resources? And I think that's, that's why you've seen since that merger. Um, I mean, some of the, some of the YA stuff was in the works ahead of that merger, but there's, there's been a definite and clear scaling back of the monthly superhero line in favor of these evergreen stories. Um, and that's kind of where I think DC is, is probably sitting at as a publisher while at the same time, not wanting to throw out the monthly sales that they do have. Like they, I think they're trying to build a bridge 
to between these book sales, these evergreen book sales and the people to buy the monthly stuff. Like how can they bring them over to this new entity they want to be? And I think that was what they were in the process of and what they're probably still in the process of right now. I think that is is kind of the ideal scenario for me is scaling back the monthly direct market type books in in a way that they've been doing. Like DC Comics does not publish nearly as many books right now as, you know, rival Marvel, right? Like they are taking actually very different approaches where DC, they have scaled back in some ways. Um, I think the idea of them doing so even more is actually probably pretty smart, big picture, right? Like this is, I think that's kind of where the direct market comics are heading um, because like it, it, we just had a, at Comics Pro, which is going on right now, a big convention for retailers uh, boom studios gave a big keynote speech and it's i recommend everybody check this out it's really interesting stuff from the publishers there but you know one big thing they're focused on is scarcity is is focusing on the books that we do put out they have to hit this what they're calling quote unquote must read status top creative talent huge selling points you know books that will work at a comic shop um and that sounds great and it's certainly easier said than done but the idea of scarcity i think is tremendously appealing to to comics fans right now and this is something we can talk about certainly as part of our dawn of x conversation but like it's a big piece around you know marvel is the biggest guilty party here in terms of just flooding the market right there's just so many books you walk into a shop and it's both intimidating and even for someone like myself or yourself who follows all of the comics as they come out effectively it is impossible to actually follow all of the comics <laughs> as they come out. And I think what publishers are potentially realizing more and more is consumers actually want to do that. Like the idea of actually keeping up with the DC universe is really appealing. It's just impossible, like time-wise and financially. So I there's a version of this that isn't just, oh, we're cutting supers, but it's DC saying, how many books do we actually need and how do we streamline this in a way where everything feels essential? Um, and I think that is that is kind of my pie in the sky version of where this could progress. I don't know. What do you think about this? I, yeah, and I, I don't think Dan leaving necessarily means the, a move away from that. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation right now about whether those those plans that that we'd seen sort of percolating with the generations one shots and the timeline that they've been teasing are now going to be scrapped, or if, or if that's what got him terminated and I mean, I, I don't, I don't see that at all. Like DC is a huge company and and this stuff takes years to plan. Like that it's, you can't, it's, you can't turn a ship that big on a dime like that and move away from it. So I think that they're still, they're still moving in that direction. And just the question now becomes, uh, who's going to be leading, leading the move that way. So these, these things that you and I are kind of thinking about and, and excited about, they're still going to move in that direction. It's just, uh, it's unclear who the face of it's going to be and and um, where the leadership structure's at. Uh, if I had to guess, I mean, I think they, they have leadership in place. Like they have Jim Lee's co-publisher, Bob Harris is editor-in-chief. Uh, Marie Javins, lo- longtime excellent editor with DC, is, has, has been editing. She edited the first generation's uh, one shot that recently appeared in, um, it's a short story that recently appeared in Wonder Woman 750 and, and was... I believe tapped to edit the entire generation's one shot series. So I wouldn't be surprised if she took on a bigger role, but I think that's that's a little maybe too inside baseball y uh guessing at at this point. Yeah, no, I, I do like that that projection. 
of who who might step in and take over. I mean, certainly the the recent trend um, is that you know someone it, it's an internal promotion is how DC and Marvel like to like to handle these things. Um, I, I think Marie Javins is a name I've seen come up a lot of times uh, that not a lot of times, but from a handful of people that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'm also, I'm blanking on the name. You probably know this. Who's the editor who does all of the Tom King books and like Mr. Miracle, uh, man, Jamie rich was, uh, that's was it. doing Batman, but I think he's, I think he's on to Superman now. Um, an- another name that I think is, is kicking around is Mark Doyle. He's, uh, done a lot of the black label stuff and, and, uh, the vertigo, Ill-fated Vert- last Vertigo relaunch and some of the I think Hill House. That's another one I've seen kind of in terms of internal folks taking on more. Yeah, yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see um, who takes over. All right, let's let's end this with um, I guess first off I do just want to say it's a little strange to me that Didio didn't get to step down and kind of like I don't know a little a little more dignity in the in the removal process like based the news breaks it sounds like he got fired like that is how the story reads to me um and and there's not a ton of information on what really happens like the language being used is he's exiting the company i do wonder if it is slightly more amicable than that um it does seem like there could have been a hey i'm gonna step away and we got you know some great people in place kind of turnover just the way you would do when a new ceo takes takes over the business but i think where dc's at right now you know in 2020 which is their ongoing line is kind of muddled they're a clear second fiddle to marvel in terms of sales um you know i i think it's like they're at this point where things haven't been over the moon fantastic even though they've had successes like black label i think is you know an unqualified success i think the ya line is has the potential to be huge um but i it's a little strange to me that the turnover wasn't handled in that way. Okay, but having said that, Zach, what are, and I'm putting you on spot again, <laughs> which is really what this entire recording is, what would you say is like the biggest thing you're going to remember positively about the Didio era and and negatively? And you can pick as many as you want here. Yeah, I, I, I've i covered, you know, I cover cons a lot for, for Comics Beat, uh, and I've sort of taken on the DC beat over there. I went to all three of the major Meet the Publishers panels uh, last year at WonderCon San Diego and New York. And in New York, I actually had 10 to 15 minutes to sit down with Dan and talk about Metal Men and and also get in a couple questions about the timeline and the generations thing that kind of made the PR PR people listen into those interviews and sort of raise an eyebrow when you ask about stuff like that. But I think what what I what I remember most about Dan personally is that he's a big personality and like the that that passion for superhero books that everybody talks about is real. Like like it's hard to it's hard to sit next to him and uh, and listen to him talk about superhero comics and not get enthused about what DC's doing, even if you don't like it. Like I like I had some issues like last year with the directions they were going in with with as you said earlier, rebirth fizzling. I thought they kind of squandered a lot of the momentum they had with that relaunch. But by the time I was done talking to Dan, I was like very excited again about about DC, and I won't I won't really forget. You know, I guess. The way he had this sort of like uh, traditional, um, almost carnival barker approach to superhero comics promotion that I think just fits uh, the genre um, so well. And uh, that'll stick with me. Um, you know, I think some of the, the strongest things he did, the new 52 relaunch, the, the rebirth sort of refiguring, were also, you can kind of look at as, as one of the 
one of the problematic things about his his time there was that that he had this tendency to to always want to relaunch everything and try to get it absolutely right this time that that became I think a little bit tiresome and you even heard it you've been hearing it all year with people oh are they doing this again like that so I think that the inability to to sort of figure out how to how to build this uh, fresh modern entry point for these longtime characters without throwing the baby out with the bathwater to use a cliche kind of haunted him as he went and and informed uh maybe some 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 retooling at times where that could have been handled a little, a little bit better i also do think that you know I, i'll kind of poke fun at, at people that think that that narrative that oh dan hates the legacy characters i think people get a little little worked up over that like he's the only one doing it but he, he did have a almost a proclivity for carnage with some of these characters. Like he couldn't, he almost seemed to couldn't help himself from kind of poking that wound over and over again. Once, once that like you'd see it at cons, you'd make these, these comments uh, like at San Diego. I remember him saying, we have this new series about Wally West and we're going to put him through the ringer. And this was right after heroes in crisis and a groan just went, went through the room. And, and I think, uh, so I think he couldn't really help himself. He liked to antagonize readers. You're supposed to do that as a creative to kind of, create problems but i think at times he he kind of took that a little bit too far and upset some people with that yeah so i think it's a it's a mix of the 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 excitement and then sometimes that excitement going a little bit too far yeah i think those are great great answers i definitely had a handful of those written down i i tend to agree with you on the 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 fandom attitude towards oh dan hates these characters that always seemed a little too far for me um that said, like obviously Wally West, Nightwing, just legacy characters in general were not a they they clearly weren't like a big part of any overarching strategy that Didio was interested in. So the, I'm not disputing the idea that the characters have not like they there haven't been particularly fantastic stories with them during his reign um, because of, you know, this sort of inability to let them evolve and and let the legacy characters kind of shine. And, it, you know, potentially, like you said, it'd be cool if they came back a little stronger during the next reign. But that said, like, I don't think a month from now it's going to be like Wally West is in a, a Flash series again, Barry's dead, and uh, and he's not the... And I'm not going to spoil Flash forward, but he's not in this godlike state that DC just put him in. <laughs> so it's like they're not just going to undo all of the things that have happened. I, I really don't think in favor of what fans have been longing for. Nonetheless, maybe there's a little bit more of a chance. I think for me, the things that I... We'll look back on again fondly is like honestly the launch of the new 52 i know it's controversial now but for me as a reader that's when i started getting into ongoing comics the first ongoing comics i ever got from a local comic shop were a part of the new 52 so i i will always look back on that as fondly as a launch and as a way to draw in new readers it worked for me and i think um i, I that's true for a lot of people like i still see on CBH, the new 52 reading order is hugely popular uh, because it was branding that was very, very successful. So I think that's successful. The other thing I liked about the deal was he would occasionally step in as a writer, you know, which I think is a, it's kind of like the player coach thing, which you just never see in sports nowadays, but it's like, you don't see editor in chief uh, often step in and like actually do comics work. Um, I guess DC is different, right? Because they got Jim Lee as co-publisher too. But like Didio stepping in even recently to write a Metal Men series, which we'll see how that, it's five issues in, I think, right now. We'll see if it was a plan 12. We'll see if that actually finishes now that he's exiting the company in this role. But regardless, I always like that idea that he was just like, yeah, I really love comics and um, I'm going to write them as well. Like it's not a thing we've seen in Marvel this decade. Yeah, and I, I actually think Dan is, is sort of an underrated 
writer. Like I really like like his uh, Omac Brother Eye stuff he did a few years back, and uh, Sideways I thought was strong, and I've been enjoying Metal Men. Yeah, like um, I don't think he gets enough enough credit for doing that. And I was sort of envisioned a future where he does step aside and and maybe continues to write a few titles, but. I think that's cloudy now, and and I think even the future, whether he finishes out Metal Men, is kind of an interesting question. Totally, totally. So, final thing on the Didio Legacy, you can't, I don't think, talk about it now without mentioning like uh, the stuff that bothers me the most, the most by far, is the leadership and sort of the management practices that were um, allowing you know individuals like Eddie Berganza to have a long um, and like pretty high powerful position when, you know, as has been reported in BuzzFeed in particular, uh, he was, you know, a predatory figure and definitely someone who should have uh, lost his job earlier than he did based on, you know, the things he was doing in that in that company. So I think, again, it's that thing where DiDio is the leader. He is the the head and it's, you know, you're the CEO of the company, you're the coach of the team. That is something that you have to take responsibility for. So I, I thought if DiDio was going to take a hit, it should have been based on letting that stuff slide under his reign. Um, although certainly the decision to, I don't know if he's been let go, but to see him exit seems to be more based on just, you know, publishing initiatives and and ultimately, I'm sure, the finances of, of the business as it pertains to AT&T and Warner Bros. reign. But that's that's the thing that leaves the absolute dirtiest taste in my mouth when you look back on this decade and longer, um, you know, that I it should have been handled better. I don't think there's any question about it. And and, you know, moving forward, I hope that DC moves in a direction that is is a much less hostile work environment and a, a more diverse, um, you know, field for for editors and publishers and, and the creative talent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I 100% agree with all that. And I think that that there are, there is stuff already coming out that the editor turnover, which had been really high with Molly Mahan, uh, Alex Antone, and, and, a, and a few other, like, I think there were four or five editors that have left DC in the last six months. And these aren't, these aren't creators. Um, these are people that, that went into work nine to five, Monday through Friday in Burbank and don't want to work for one of the largest and most prestigious comics publishers in the industry. Uh, that kind of turnover really reflect, reflect outwardly reflects poorly on the work environment, and I would be shocked if that's not part of the reason that Dan was ultimately uh, no longer with the company. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, Zach, I think that's going to do it on this Didio Emergency Podcast. Um, I think as as we're finding, we have a lot to say <laughs> about what is really, really big news. So I'm going to cut us off here because we still got some X-Men to talk on our, our other podcast. Um, but thanks for, for talking through the big news with me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, happy to do it. Um, looking forward to talking X Men. 